Teresa, are you ready to do this episode? Like a boss. It's Schmanners. Hello, Internet. I am your husband, host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife, host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Hello, my dove. Hello, dear. How the heck are you? Pretty good. Okay, thus <laughs> ends the small talk section of this episode. How are you? I kind of hoped we'd stretch that a little bit longer. I'm doing great. Traveling my bottom off, uh, but doing just fine. Had a lovely St. Patrick's Day. You did make us some delicious Irish-American treats. That's correct. Um, because we made corned beef. And I think we talked about uh, in our St. Patrick's Day episode that that was not actually traditional Irish food until uh, immigrants came to America. But still, it, have, I associate it with St. Patrick's Day. And we had Irish soda bread, which you you made like a boss. I did make like a boss. Uh, and also cabbage potatoes, which I made uh, like a boss. Uh, and bacon, <laughs> which I made like a boss. Uh, and hash browns, which I made like a boss. Uh, so basically, here's the thing, folks. Everything I do, <laughs> I do like a boss. And now, Travis, you might say, that uh, seems awful braggy. No, I'm self-employed. <laughs> so <laughs> literally... Everything I do, I am my own boss, um, and I just don't, I don't have good boundaries in life, so, like, I take a nap like a boss, but I also work on documents like a boss. Anyways, this is, I think that's enough of that joke. <laughs> um, in case it wasn't clear by the repetition, this week's episode is all about being the boss. Now, let me start off, I found it interesting, right, before we get to the history and stuff, mm-hmm. I found it interesting that I, I saw people in their questions specifically say, I am not a boss, in quote, but like I'm in a leadership role or so. That, uh, that's included. Maybe we didn't make that clear because being the boss is just fun to say. But when we talk about, there, there is two kinds of bosses, right? Mm-hmm. There is leadership that is given. And then there's kind of like leadership that is demonstrate i'm trying to think of a way to put it someone could say like you are the boss now right but then there are also those people that everyone kind of looks to in situations right yeah kind of natural leaders and i think this is it all of this is encompassed in like how to be a good leader sure i think just right now we're in a place where when you think about a leader societally you either think about like a um, like a political leader or a religious leader or a business leader, right? I yes. think these are like kind of the codified forms of leadership. Yes. I'm doing motions with my hands to demonstrate my thoughts <laughs> that you at home cannot see. Uh, but starting on the history section, I would say that the boss in the same direction. Bruce Springsteen? Uh-huh. The same direction that we think of it wasn't uh, so okay. Okay, like you said, there there are the bosses who are like given that, and I would say that historically speaking, that would be like the aristocracy, mm-hmm. right? So there was a landlord kind of system um, in the you know in the European sense. Where there was almost a, like a feudal You mean like the lord, lord of the land, not like right. a landlord like owns an yes. apartment building, right, right, but right. literally owned the land that everyone lived on. Exactly. Uh, the the lord of the land, like yes. you said. And this this family would own the land and they would kind of lease it out to tenant farmers um, and, and things like that, but always taking a, a tax of whatever it is they produced. Yes. I I as a just a, to be a little preemptive and I'm not interrupting you. I'm merely stopping you from talking so that I can talk for a second and then we'll go back to the <laughs> Uh-huh. So here's the thing cuz I do want to it's it's occurred to me as we've discussed as we're discussing it. There are a lot of historically incredibly problematic things when we talk about like bosses in history, right? Yes. Because one 
there were bosses who owned people mm-hmm. as property. That sucked. I almost cursed because of it sucks. That's bad. <laughs> then there was also, historically, when we think about bosses, you find a lot of examples of, like, white dudes. Tyrannical kings, for yes, example. right. Especially but it, and also in... It's just, European it was a example. long, long, long time and a very uh, comparatively recently until people began to accept like women can be bosses mm-hmm. or people of color can be bosses. And like, and I, I don't want to speak for other countries, of course, but here in America, U- the U.S., that holds true for a lot of our history. And that sucks. So I just want to be clear that we are acknowledging that when we talk about like the history of bosses, it ain't always great. There are definitely some parts of it that are not great, and that's putting it mildly. Right. So that sort of boss, the kind of top of the top, top of the heap kind of person, I'm not really going to talk about. Okay, (laughs) perfect. That's all we have to say about that. But I want to talk about the idea of um, a master craftsman kind of boss where uh, a master craftsman would have an apprentice that would serve underneath them for five to seven years. Um, Most of these apprentices were male, but there were also apprenticeships found in crafts like seamstress, tailor, baker, stationer, things like that, uh, printer later on. Um, And you would start your apprenticeship at 10 to 15 years old, and you would live in the master's household. Um, so you were with them 24-7 learning your craft. Um, and a lot of places, and this began really in the Middle Ages in, in Europe. So um, not only was this an inexpensive form of labor for the craftsmen, but it also really helped people get the training they needed to support themselves later on. There are certain like... Uh, echoes of unpaid internships in there that I'm not crazy about. But I will say there is something, and maybe it's because in my head it's a little romanticized, right? Because of books like Johnny Tremaine and stuff. But the idea of at like seven, you're like, yeah, no, when I grow up, I'm going to be a cobbler uh, and I'm going to go study with this cobbler. And then after seven years, I now I'm going to start cobbling on my own. And then I'll have my own business, and when I'm 25, I'll take on an apprentice. Like, there's something about knowing what your job is going to be, getting trained specifically for that job, and then going and doing that job. And now, as I'm saying it out loud, I know in in life there are people that do that, <laughs> and I'm the kid who went and got a theater degree. I understand that. But I, I do think that that's something, you know, I, I've heard it a lot over the last couple of years or the last decade or so that here in the U.S. we're losing a lot of our kind of like skilled labor mm-hmm. positions because people want to go into like creative fields and stuff that, you know, technology and that kind of thing. And we're losing people who know how to like build and make things that we need and how to fix things and that kind of stuff. Right. And that is something that we're moving away. I like this idea of like, I'm going to go learn from you and my whole life is going to be dedicated to mastering this one thing. There's something to me that's like very cool about that. And I mean, I wouldn't want to do it, but I'm also incredibly lazy. You said the idea of apprenticeship nowadays is is slightly problematic. Um, But in in this context, apprentices became almost like family to these people. So you... The craftsmen provided food, lodging, and training. So it's not like they weren't paying them and they had to live on the street. It was the the craftsmen took them into their home and provided for them and got some pretty cheap labor out of it. But but it was more of um of a community feeling yes. than it is today. I mean, I'm sure that there were jerky master people you know where it's like oh i hate working for this person but once again my only reference point here is johnny tremaine and some like historical fiction books i have read about this time period but it does seem a lot more like i'm basically almost like a foreign exchange program right you're gonna come live with me Mm -hmm. and be part of my family for the time that you're doing this right yeah 
Um, and so after you completed your apprenticeship, you became a journeyman, um, which was a uh, unisex term. So you were a skilled worker who had the qualification in a trade or a craft, um, meaning that you were competent and authorized to work in that field as a qualified employee. Right. But you weren't ready to, like, have your own business. Right, right. Um, you would need to complete your trade certificate, whatever that is, in whatever village or whatever you lived in. Um, there were different things. Some places you had to pay a tax. Uh, some places you had to take an exam. Like, you had to have someone watching over you build something in order to become a self-employed master craftsman. Now, was this just craftspeople or was this like lawyers too? Because there's some, I, I, I assume Well, that... I mean, we're still really in the kind of medieval section, uh -huh. right? So these were like operated by trade guilds. Right. But there wasn't like, well, you don't have a doctorate in law. You can't, right? It was like, no, yeah, you were a, uh, oh, what? What is Bob Cratchit? Why can't I remember it? What is he? He's a clerk. You like you ah. have to clerk for someone and learn how that stuff works, and then you go and you, you know, now you can write out documents and that kind of stuff. Well, you have to remember that, like, even doctors for a long time, if you've listened to Sawbones at all, you know that doctors sometimes just studied with someone and then proclaimed themselves a doctor there weren't like ah the good old days <laughs> there 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 weren't a lot of higher education opportunities available for for like the lower lower socioeconomic stature classes um so this was really kind of like you are going to school. You're getting your, quote, degree in these things. Ebenezer Scrooge was not a very good boss. We'll talk about that later when we talk about, like, what makes a good boss. I guess he became a good boss after some ghosts scared him. So if you're looking to become a good boss, step one, mm -hmm. get scared by ghosts. All right. Okay, go on. <laughs> um. So then the early years of, of this sort of... In, I don't, it was pretty much indenturism, right? They were not indentured servants, but they were not part of the family. They weren't getting paid. They weren't getting paid. They were getting paid in experience, which is an awful thing to say yeah, these days. Not great. Don't offer anyone experience or exposure. Those two things. Oh, no, no, no. You know what people want? Money. Yes. Pay people in monies. But in, in the, you know, 14th century, like I said, this was taking them into your home and providing food and lodging as well. Um, so, uh, so uh, in a sense, okay, and this is not to defend it, but I'm betting that this was kind of the logic of it, right? Of like the payment they're getting is the family that that person is coming from, not having to feed them, not having to like take care of them themselves. So it was like, right, you're saving that family money. Mm -hmm. I guess. Still not great. Um, so then there wasn't there wasn't so much of like this. This system really worked is what I want to say. Really worked. Started out in the 12th century, pretty much reached its height around the 14th century. And then um, by the 17th century, it became a little more like a traditional college type thing, right? Uh -huh. Where you paid someone to learn their craft from them. Um, so it was like tutorship and and more like a teacher type yeah. business. But I mean, this went on into like, I know that there were people who were apprenticing, thank you, Johnny Tremaine, in like the 1700s. Absolutely. Or, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so it kind of morphed into more of what we have today by the 18th century. Okay. Where you um, were living as the apprentice, but those, they lived apart from their masters. Uh-huh. Right? So they would go and study mm -hmm. and then go home. And they were also paid kind of like a half pay, right? Okay. So they wouldn't get the full thing because they weren't qualified for full pay yet. They would receive like a half wage. Okay. Which is... Admittedly better. Yes. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um and 
like I said, they often went home on the weekends, Saturday night to like Sunday morning in there. Um, and this was, this was pretty much how apprenticeships worked up into the 19th century. Wait, the 19th century or the 1900s? The 19th century. Okay. Um, and then there were a lot of say, different laws. I, I don't remember passed. there being a lot of like 1940s apprenticeships, but I mean, there are, there definitely are apprenticeships available, but it's not in the same way that I'm talking about. Okay. So it's not really the master craftsman. It's kind of more, um, internships, internship. Yeah. Basically. Right. But there were a lot of, um, of laws introduced, especially in England about, um, how they could, how they could regulate a little more not only the the apprenticeship itself how much they were paid and things like that but also being able to protect the public yeah from unskilled workers okay regulations not bad keeps people safe keeps people paid I like this yes um so then during the Indi- industrial revolution is when apprenticeships really started to decline. Yes. Because it's not exactly very profitable. And, like, that's the whole thing. Oh, see, I thought you were going to say because, like, the manual skilled labor you're teaching is being done by machines, right? So it's... I guess we're saying the same thing, right? Because it's cheaper to have machines do that than to train one person for seven years to do that one thing the kind of factory working of like cog in a machine i do one thing you do another thing it was a lot cheaper for employers to kind of make things factory wise instead of the skilled craftsman labor of one person working on one thing for a long time yes okay yeah that makes sense and and it also becomes interesting because to move forward a little bit more, right? We were talking about apprenticeships and internships. Mm-hmm. And the difference is, and I think the reason that also unpaid internships have correctly, I think, fallen out of favor now and people are against them. is what ends up happening is it doesn't end up being a training program mm-hmm. so much as it's just free, like, go for labor. Yeah. Because once again... It, it's financially it doesn't make sense to have someone stop doing their job to teach someone else how to do it unfortunately so that like i, I have i been an intern before i've been an intern before i did not care for it but mm-hmm. because i like being the boss <laughs> and an intern is as opposite of being the boss as you maybe temp is lower i don't know <laughs> but like it just it, it i don't think you get the same kind of training as we talk about this like for seven years this master craftsman person's job is equally to keep making the things they're doing, mm-hmm. but also specifically to teach you to do the thing they're doing. Right. As opposed to just wait over there until I need you. Can you go get me a coffee? Right. Right. Not right. <laughs> Which is actually a fairly good object lesson for how to be a good boss, right? This idea of you are as much a leader as a teacher in this thing, you know? Exactly. Like, you, at the end of this person's time working for you, they should be better at their job than you are. You know, like, there's a... And I don't know this from studying martial arts. Anybody who's ever known me will guess. But, like, I know that there's a certain point where you can study martial arts and then the advice that anybody will give you is if you want to get better... Now you have to become a teacher, right? Mm-hmm. Because that will improve your skills as you teach other people. So exactly. It's being a good boss is beneficial for everyone. If you take the time to teach someone how to do their job better, you also learn how to do your job better in the process. Perfect. Sounds like a great place to do some thank you notes. Yeah. And then we'll come back and answer questions and I will go on and on about being a good boss because I'm an awesome boss if me, my employee, says so myself. <laughs> okay. Anyways, thank you notes. Our first thank you note goes to our one of our sponsors for this week, Third Love. Um, we've you've se- tried first love, you've <laughs> tried second love. Now it's time for the new and improved Third Love. We'd have them on a couple of times, and the the really great thing about Third Love is they offer sixty sizes. Well, you- sizes of what? We haven't said what they sell. <gasps> Intimate apparel. Ooh, see, I would have just said bras. <laughs> 
They offer 60 sizes, um, and that includes, so double A through G and half cup sizes. I had never heard of half cup sizes, but it totally makes sense because no two people are shaped the same, you know? You need that, sometimes you need that half cup. Mm-hmm. You don't fill the one too much they the other. They have full, they have empty, it's hard to say. So just get a half cup and then it's all the way full. That's right. Or I guess if the, if so, the top half of the cup is this, full and you get the bottom half of the cup. All right. Okay. So Third Love uses thousands of real women's measurements and then super smoothing memory foam. It does feel lovely uh, to create bras that fit better and feel great. Um, and you can find your perfect fit from Third Love's Fit Finder quiz. It's super easy and it's got um, really great illustrations. So even if you're not familiar with the, the terminology, you can find a fit that works for you. Also, returns and exchanges are easy and free. So if you, I know that sometimes buying things off the internet is a little nerve wracking. What is, how do I return it if it doesn't fit? How do I, what do I, who do I, huh? But it's super easy and free to return and exchange. So our listeners can go to thirdlove.com slash schmanners now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off of your first purchase. So that is thirdlove.com slash smanners. Once again, thirdlove.com slash S-H-M-A-N-N-E-R-S. We are also very thankful this week to our sponsor, Daily Harvest. Wouldn't it be great if you could have nutritious, Instagram-worthy meals every day without having to hit the farmer's market and chop up a million fruits and veggies? Now you can... You can get superfoods delivered to your door with Daily Harvest. Now, here's the thing. That's Daily Harvest's very, very well-written intro. Now, I'm going to give you my intro. Everybody wants to eat healthier, and everybody wants to eat better. And everybody wants to eat faster. And everybody (laughs) wants to eat faster. Listen, we're all lazy. Admit it. We all are. Some no, people, no, no. Wait a minute. Nope. I am not lazy, but I still don't have a lot of time. Now, listen. All of us are lazy. Mm-hmm. Some of us just battle our laziness better than <laughs> others. Right? But given the option, I think everybody would rather just not. Maybe that's me. But here's the thing. Daily Harvest is so easy. Right? You can prepare smoothies or activated breakfast bowls in just 30 seconds. Three zero seconds. Each cup comes with ready-to-blend or heat. Just add water. Everything. Or the liquid of your choice. Or the liquid of your choice. You could pour whiskey in there. Wouldn't recommend it. Wouldn't that recommend would, it. That would maybe not taste as great and probably combat the health. <laughs> but anyway, don't I pour whiskey. I prefer almond milk. Okay, yes. Much better. Um, and everything's right there in the cup, right? And it's, listen, it's not just smoothies. It's not just smoothies. Smoothies, soup, uh, overnight oats, uh, milkshakes, uh, sundaes. It's a lot of options, um, and it's organic and unrefined, and so it's it, it's awesome. It's literally a cup of like frozen fruits and vegetables, and it's awesome. And listen, I love smoothies, and I drank. I'm like, I was a big smoothie fan for a while, but then it got to a point where it's like. I have to buy all these individual ingredients and make sure they're all stocked. And then I still have to like prepare everything. Not with Daily Harvest. With Daily Harvest, it's all right there in the cup. So go to daily-harvest.com. So that's D-A-I-L-Y-Harvest, right? Daily Harvest, <laughs> daily-harvest.com. Enter promo code Schmanners to get three free items in your first box. That's promo code Schmanners. For three free Daily Harvest Cups at daily-harvest.com, daily-harvest.com. Also want to say, before we head back to the show, real quick promo for the two of us. Um, Coming up, Teresa and I are going to be at C2E2, a conference coming up in Chicago very shortly, uh, April 6th through the 8th. Um, we are doing, let's see, I'm, I, well, there's a show, uh, Friday night called Travis, uh, Travis McElroy and Friends or Travis and Friends, I think. <laughs> and Teresa's going to be there as well as Symphony Sanders from Welcome to Night Vale. Um, that's, uh, Friday night at 6.30, Friday the 6th at 6.30. Um, and then, oh, what else am I doing? Um, and then also, uh, Teresa and I are doing a podcast panel 
uh, along with Symphony and also Adol Rafai, Arnie Niekamp, and Matt Young from Hello from the Magic Tavern on uh, Sunday the 8th at 4 p.m. Um, and then I'm also doing a couple signings in there. And you can find that whole schedule at bit.ly slash Travis C2E2. All the letters in there are all lowercase. Uh, and go check that out and get tickets. Come hang out with us in Chicago, April 6th through 8th. Uh, and one more, uh, Schmanners is going to be performing a live show at Moon Tower Comedy Festival in Austin, Texas on April 18th. So that is also coming up. Uh, get your tickets for that at bit.ly slash Moon Tower Schmanners. Hey guys, this is Adam Conover. You may know me from my true TV show, Adam Ruins Everything. Well, guess what? Now we're doing a podcast version right here on Maximum Fun. What we do is we take all the interesting, fascinating experts that we talk to for just a couple minutes on the show, and we sit with them for an entire podcast, really going deep and getting into the fascinating details of their work. Find Adam Ruins Everything wherever you get your podcasts or at MaximumFun.org. Okay. So real quick, before we do uh, questions, uh-huh. I would like to go over some quick and dirty tips. Ooh, mm, I don't like quick and dirty. I don't like dirty in there. Let's okay. say quick and clean, quick and helpful tips. All right, fine. Um, so here are some habits of some highly effective bosses. Okay. The first thing that I would suggest is also a very mannerly thing. Make introductions. So yes. when someone new appears in the workplace, I'm not just saying like a guest, but new workers, it's important that everybody feel uh, welcome and on the same kind of playing field. So it is your responsibility as the higher up to introduce people. And let me give a bit of advice there, right? If you just walk that person into the front of a whole office and have everyone shout, hi, Steve, or whatever at them, that's not, I don't think that that's effective. I think if you're going to do something like that, have it be like a welcome lunch or something, right, in a room where then you encourage everyone to actually mangle and talk instead of just, because here's the thing. If you walk that solo person up and big group, Mm -hmm. then you're making it seem like you are an outsider. It's very intimidating. Right. So instead, you want it to be like, I'm going to walk you individually to people and introduce them or put them in an environment like a pizza party or something where you're encouraging everyone to mingle and make them part of the group instead of literally giving them the image of you are a single person against a huge group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so then the next thing that I would suggest is I came across this word, which is not really a word, but I like it. It says, uh, don't snoopervise. Mm, yes, yes. yes. I, I, even just one, portmanteau love. <laughs> Two, I have had a boss that did that and I hated it. Right. So something about um, this kind of hovering or um, watching the employees in a way that is... Domineering, I hate to say. I, I would, I would, yes, that's not wrong, but also like suspicious. Yeah. And it, it, I had a boss who would literally come up to where I was working and as they were talking to me, look around my desk, mm-hmm. like not make eye contact, clearly looking to see if I was doing something I shouldn't be. Right. And it's like, I'm an adult. Don't do that because what that does is make me want to hide things from and you. And it, it breaks down trust. Yes. Is what it does. Um, and there's definitely a difference between uh, progress reports and such like that. So if you if you want to know where people are standing on their projects, you need to make sure that you have a a channel for that instead of like you said, just like hovering and and snooping around. And let me also give you a Travis McRoy top tip for uh, for being a good boss. Here's the thing. And this is going to come up a lot in the questions, too. So I thought I'd get it out of the way now, and then we can just reference that. Because this was a problem I had as a boss, too, and I think we've talked about on the show before, is that I felt bad being direct with my employees because that Mm -hmm. somehow felt bossy. You know what I mean? I wanted to be cool. I wanted them to like me. I wanted to be easy to get along with, right? So I think that there is this perception when you are the boss that you feel bad 
telling someone what to do or reprimanding someone Mm -hmm. or being too strict with rules. And while you can be too strict, I think that structure is good. Yes. And your job as a boss is to be direct because I think, like when we're talking about supervising, if you want to know how something is going, walk up to that person and ask. Exactly. Right? Walk up and say, hey, I'm checking in to see how that report is going. Instead of just walking up going, so, you know, how's everything? Because you don't want to be direct. But to them, they know what you're trying to find out. And instead, Mm -hmm. it just seems like you're being sneaky. Now, I would remind you, think like Beyonce. I'm not bossy. I am the boss. Correct. Ask ask for what you want. That's the thing. Every time I've had a boss that has given me clear-cut expectations... Asked me for what they want and given me like the he, opportunity to complete it. Right. Like I appreciate that far more than a quote unquote cool friendly boss. Exactly. Right. Because now I know what the expectations are. I know where the lines are. I know what the rules are. And I can operate within that structure. That was one of the first things that I did when I started working as a supervisor at a pool I worked at where it was it was impossible to to expect something of the guards I was supervising if they didn't know what I wanted. So what you have to do is I sat down and I wrote down a daily expectations sheet. And it said very explicitly what they were supposed to do when they were opening the pool, what they were supposed to do every hour, what was expected of them when they were uh, on their break, all that kind of stuff. Because people can't complete tasks And they don't know what they're supposed to do. Yeah. And a lot of people also asked about like, how do I be a boss when the employees are my friends? Or how do I be the boss and make people like me? Here's the thing, right? When you are at work, you are the boss. And unfortunately, this is just a fact. There is is a certain thing you lose, right? When you become the boss. That doesn't mean you have to be a jerk. That doesn't mean you can't be friends with them, but like, for example, you can't be the boss, go out on a Friday or go out on a Sunday night, let's say, and get drunk with all your employees or go out with them and they all get drunk and then you yell at a Monday for coming in hungover because you were there. You were also doing it. You can't do that. Right. That doesn't mean you have to be a jerk and then you can't get along with them, but you do lose a certain amount of that. My advice is this. When you are at work, you are their boss. When you are away from work, you are their friend. But you always have to have like a 10% buffer in both places. Like you can be 90% boss, 10% friend. But that also means that when you're out with them, you're 90% friend, 10% boss. boss. So my next tip um, is something that I always appreciate in, in when we were in theater, which a trait of a good stage manager which after the show opens is your boss um don't criticize publicly but praise publicly yes praise publicly criticize privately yes right that was a lot that's a better ring to it than what you said (laughs) what i said um so when someone needs correction that means that you go up to them specifically. Maybe correct is better than criticize. Correct privately? Sure. Because yes. sure. criticize makes it sound like you did a bad job as opposed to like. You need to do you... better. Yes, right. <laughs> exactly. So you want to uh, correct privately. Discuss with the employee what it is that they failed to do and how they can do it better next time. But if someone does something amazing it's really important to the psyche of the employee that you praise publicly. Let everyone know the great stuff that they did. Um, because not only is this a tool for instilling pride in their work, um, but it also has been shown through studies that it encourages people to work better. Well, and here's another thing too, right? There are, I would say most jobs You only, this is one of my biggest pet peeves when I was working. (laughs) I mean, I'm working now, but when (laughs) I had, you know, real jobs, um, is that most jobs you only get noticed for doing less than 100%, right? Where someone will say, like, this is what you have to do for your job, and you only get yelled at if you don't do it. 
And then you have to work so, so, so hard to do more than 100% of your job, Mm -hmm. right? For example, it's easy if you are, for example, in a sales position. Wow, you sold 125% of our goal today. That's noticeable and easy to praise. But if you are, like, uh, in charge of cleaning an office or something, yes, the office is cleaned. That's what you were supposed to do. Right. Right? So it's important to recognize your employees for doing their jobs well, not just doing more than they were expected to do. Right? I think that's a great idea. Because otherwise you just end up punishing them for not doing their jobs and taking for granted that they are going to do their jobs. And that's not that's not good leadership. I'm a great boss, y'all, like, for real. Great. So let's hit some questions. Okay. Uh, this question comes from, uh, I'm going to say Moira. Moira? No, Mora. Mora. Why am I so bad at names? M-O-I-R-A-H. Moira. That's what I was trying to say. Oh, no. Um, how do you approach the transition of being moved up to manager after having been an employee with people who are now working under you? This is tough. This is anytime you transition to being peers with someone to now being in charge of them, it can be tough. Um, my short advice: don't overcorrect. Don't go into like, so I need to crack down and establish authority now. I would agree. It's one of our main tenets: is lead by example. If this is the case, right? So now you have done work with them. So now you need to work harder, right? You need to make them want to work at your level instead of telling them to work harder, right? Right. That that was a lovely, lovely little nugget of wisdom. I've had so many jobs, you guys. <laughs> I've been bosses, and I've been interns, and I've been employees. Um, this is from uh, at Maybe Bird. How do you exercise understanding and empathy without being too lenient? Um. I think that it all comes down to the way that you, the way that you are lenient. Yeah. Like there are some rules that are okay to be lenient about, um, but then there are other rules that need to be kept pretty hard and fast. And as a boss, you learn to know which ones those are. I mean, one of the main reasons people get... Okay, so you can be uh, promoted and elevated because you are really good at your job, right? But one of the main uh, qualities that someone looks for in someone to promote is judgment. Because that's really what you're doing, is you're putting someone in a position where they're going to have to make decisions, they're going to have to make calls, and do you, the person promoting them, trust them to do that? Mm -hmm. And that's what you're doing here, is like you have to make a decision when someone comes to you and says, hey, I won't be able to come into work this week, because or tomorrow because of such and such you have to make the decision as to whether that's you know okay you can't there is no blanket statement of like this is okay and that's tough but that's part of being the boss is making decisions like that uh my advice is like really don't don't make the decision right that second like don't feel on the spot to make the decision if somebody comes to you and asks for something say okay cool let me think about it and I'll get back to you. Let me check the schedule or, you know, whatever you want to say. Because if you feel on the spot, you probably are going to make a decision that you don't actually agree with, but you haven't had time to think about it. So give yourself some time. Uh, I will also say, this is another Travis McElroy top tip for being a good boss. You can't treat every employee the same way. Everybody's different. They require different handling, uh, different tactics. And so, as they say... What might be right for you may not may not be right for some. Different strokes for different folks. So for one person, your level of leniency may be different than for another person, right? And that's okay. That's also part of being a boss. Um, and I think an- another thing that you can do, and I'm going to use this example of tardiness, um, is if you if you are expected to show empathy towards your employees, I think that you can also solicit empathy towards yourself. So if someone comes in late um, and you don't want them to make a habit of coming in late, you have to, I, I would explain to them and say, I can't pay you for the time you aren't here. 
So I will be deducting from your time card today to reflect how late you were so that they can understand, well, I mean, I wasn't here, I wasn't working, so I'm not getting paid for that time. Um, and hopefully when you explain that to them, they will they will want to come in to work on time so that they can get the proper compensation. Also, um, Teresa and I have been watching a lot of Brooklyn Nine-Nine lately, <laughs> and one of the things that Captain Holt does that I really like is he doesn't just get mad or reprimand someone. He also will teach them why it is happening, right? Right. So, for example, if someone is late, rather than just be like, I'm mad at you because you're late, say the reason I am mad at you for being late is because when you are not here, there is no one covering that department. Or when you are not here, the person who was working the shift before you has to stay longer. And when you, like, there is an impact. This is not just, especially if you're, if it's someone who's like, it's their first job or you're dealing with someone younger, they may not know the impact that their actions have. You know, like when you come and you're out of dress code, that makes you seem unprofessional and it's harder for, you know, for customers to recognize that you work here or it makes them less likely to want to buy from you. Give them the reasons why it is a problem. Um, this question is from Violetta. Um, when I, sorry, I hit that name like that. I just thought it was a great name. Uh, when members of my team are not getting along, to what extent, if any, do I need to intervene? If I, I would say that you, you don't have to make them be friends, but if it is inhibiting their work performance, that is when you need to intervene and, and talk to them about how you don't have to like each other, but you have to do your jobs properly. I mean, that's it, because that's the question is, if they're getting their jobs done and you just know that, you know, Bob and Deborah don't get along, that's not your place. But if they can't work together on a project without, like, blowing up at each other, then it's time to step in and then you need to do something. But if it's not affecting work, it ain't it ain't your place to step in. And I would also say that this is another example of that, like, 90, you know, 10 or 75, whatever. You said 90-10 earlier. <laughs> sure, whatever your thing is, um, is that you might say, like, oh, but I'm Bob and Deborah's friend and I want to fix it. Well, but you're also their boss. And, like, maybe outside of work is the place to have that conversation. But don't take company time to try to fix the friendship between your friends. But You know what I mean? Right. Like, you're the boss. And that's also the other side of that, right? If it is getting away in their work and you're their friends, you still have to be their boss and call them on it. Um, Let's see. This question is from Kylo. And Kylo asks, how many chances should I give an employee to correct an issue before taking disciplinary action? I want folks to learn and get better, but there's also a standard to keep up. Um. I think that this is more of a of a question that you need to take to your um, code of conduct, uh, especially if you can reference it specifically to them and say, "Listen, I have, I'm allowed to give you these three chances before I have to make a formal write up, and I have given you these three chances on this date, on this date, on this date. So now you have left me no choice." So that, you know, you can you can cite this code of conduct. Um, and I, I suppose that if you choose to be a little more lenient, you could give them one extra whatever that the code of content con, conduct, ugh, <laughs> the code of conduct states. Uh, but it's a good place for you to be able to state like it's not me being mean to you. This is company policy. And that's great too because it goes along with what we were saying earlier about structure right because you can say here's this time here's the and also even if you don't have a code of conduct written down like that saying the structure of okay we're having this conversation today i'm going to check in with you again in a week and i want it fixed by then and if it's not fixed by then then i'm going to have whatever but then you're giving them time period and and this is a recurring thing we've talked about so many times on this show, but there's a big difference between I am unhappy, this is unprofessional, this is a problem, I want it fixed in a week, versus, hey, so, you know that thing? Uh, well, I mean, it's not great, so let's see if we can work on that, okay? 
there's a huge difference. Exactly. And you might be like, oh, I'm being nicer the second time. But then when suddenly you're firing that person. Yeah. Or you are suddenly stuck working with an employee who is not doing a good job because you don't want to face it. That's not better. Um, it is harder to be direct and honest. But it makes a better workplace for you and for them. Yeah. It's better for everybody. Um and uh, we have one last question, but I also want to say, as a boss, um, make as pleasant and as safe a working environment as you can for everybody. That's just in general. A good Travis tip is just because you're <laughs> getting good numbers or you know the work is getting done. If people feel um, either unsafe or they feel like they're not allowed to succeed because of who they are or anything like that. That is not being a good boss. So being a good boss means having a good work environment for everybody and taking care of that stuff. Okay. Uh, this is our last question. It's from Hope. How do you handle imposter syndrome in a manager uh, or leadership position? Oh, wow. This is something that, um, if you don't know, imposter syndrome is that feeling that uh, you don't belong in the the you just you don't deserve what you have you don't deserve yeah. what you have you don't don't I'm belong in the found out suddenly, responsible yeah. role that you have um and and let me tell you hope i i know this right i got a job uh at csc as the technical director and i i had very very little experience and i ended up doing it for like almost six years and i was good at it but for the first like two or three years i was there i was convinced that like they were going to fire me and i was a fraud and i didn't know what i was doing and all that stuff i think this is a feeling that's very easy to feel when you are promoted um because suddenly you are now in a position where someone has said you're good enough for more responsibility you're good enough for more money Right. And you but you but you don't know what you're doing when you start. Right. So you're kind of set up to feel that imposter syndrome because suddenly you're given more responsibility, and more money, but you have yet to learn what you have to do. Mm-hmm. So it's very easy to feel that way. And I, I really think that the best way to help someone through that period is to, first of all, explain that you trust them. And that's why they have been promoted. That's why they're in the the part of responsibility that they are. Um, and, and the next step, I think, is to, for the first, you know, for, you have to kind of become their teacher for a little bit. Yeah, and if you're in the place where you are the one who has been promoted, I would say that you have to, if you know we talk about leniency and structure and stuff for your employees you have to give the same thing to yourself you know you you aren't going to overnight be perfect in this new job that you have no one is no mm-hmm. one can do that i always said like i i think i never felt comfortable in a job for the first two weeks because i didn't know where the trash cans were <laughs> like that was kind of my <laughs> reference point like i had to ask people like Hey, which way to this or where do we keep the folders or whatever, right? So you have to give yourself a certain period of time where you're learning how to do the job. Also, know this. Because you are the boss, people, I think it's one of those things where everybody's ready to be judged and everybody's thinking that everyone's picking apart their performance. They're not. You're the boss. Everybody's worried about their own stuff more right. than they're worried about everybody else. Right. So, like, give yourself leniency and structure. Learn the job. You know what I mean? Like, most companies have some kind of training programs or, like, binders. I love doing that stuff. At Best Buy, we had all of these, like, online training programs. I did those all the time, right? Because it was, like, studying. And I'm a dork. And I liked that. (laughs) Plus, it was, like, a computer game. And I liked that, too. Um, But, like, yeah, that's the thing. If you're feeling that, the best way to combat imposter syndrome is to learn, right? Because then you feel like you do know what you're doing. Um, so yeah, that's going to do it for us. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, quick reminder, Teresa and I are going to be at C2E2. You can find out the whole schedule. It's April 6th through 8th in Chicago. You can find out the whole schedule by going to bit.ly slash Travis C2E2. All the letters there are under case. I mean, lowercase. Lowercase. Um, and I guess the 
numbers are lowercase too. I don't know what uppercase. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, and we're going to be at Moon Tower Comedy Festival April 18th in Austin, Texas. You can find out the details and get tickets at bit.ly slash Moon Tower Schmanners. Also all lowercase. Um, oh, oh, Max Fun Drive is coming up. That's right. Another uh, April thing. Yes, it starts April 2nd. It's going to run for two weeks. If you didn't know, if this is your first time being around while Max Fun Drive comes out, it's your opportunity to support the shows that you love. Shows like Schmanners, the one you're listening to now. And during that two-week period, we're going to be putting up some of our best episodes. I'm right now working on the bonus episode that I'm going to present to Teresa, and I'm very excited about because it's about one of my favorite people and subjects. Well, you you could say. Don't give any more away. Okay, I won't. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, we'll put, be putting up great episodes and everybody will be. There will be rewards for new and upgrading donors. Uh, it's going to be a super fun time and it's only two weeks. So we will see you starting April 2nd. We'll have more information for you as we get close to it. But we wanted you to start gearing up for it now. Um, and speaking of Max Fun, go check out all the other amazing shows on Maximum Fun. It, it seems like there's more every day. All the time. And they're so good. Go check them out. Um, oh, uh, my brother, my brother, and me, and the Adventure Zone are going on tour. Um, you can see all the dates there um, at McElroyShows.com slash tours. The first one's coming up pretty soon. We're going to be in Dallas and Houston, uh, April 13th, 14th, and 15th, I believe. Uh, so if you want to come see us there, get your tickets for that. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at SchmannersCast. Uh, you can email us, schmannerscast at gmail.com. You can join our fan run Facebook group, Schmanners Fanners, and find uh, some helpful, polite people to uh, answer your questions when we can't. Um, and then I also want to say thank you as well to Brent, Brentlefloss Black, for writing our theme music, which is available as a ringtone where those are sold. Thank you to Kayla M. Wassel for our Twitter thumbnail art. Thank you to Keely Weiss Photography for that beautiful picture of us on the Schmanners Fanners Facebook page. And that's going to do it for us. Join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners Schmanners. Get it? MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.